0: Welcome back to the podcast, Unbinding the Bible. This is episode 22, Justifiable Revenge. And in this episode, I would like to conclude a look at Genesis chapter four and just how far sin and the character of sin at work can take people and has in fact taken many people. We will look a little bit into chapter five as we try to set up some common trajectories that are headed throughout scripture and ultimately landing of course with a lot of the purpose behind why Jesus has come and what salvation ultimately means and so I am thankful to be able to um, go through this episode with you this week and so let's get right into it. As we get into this week's episode, I thought it would be a good place to begin by answering a few of the questions I've received over the last couple of months. And that is, do I actually intend to go through every single verse and every paragraph of the whole Bible in the fashion that I've been doing so far through the book of Genesis? And that's a great question, first of all. And the answer to that question is no. Um, There is plenty that could be done in that way. That is not actually what I intend to do. Um, today is going to mark sort of a turning point in the podcast um, as I will attempt to tie in one final piece from Genesis 4 which really helps us to understand one one further step about what sin has actually done and the the direction and um, that it has taken us as human beings made in God's image. And also it sets up a beautiful tension in the story regarding just how the Lord God is going to deal with. ...with this problem as magnified as it has gotten. And so, in my own mind, there are hundreds of things that I would like to talk about. But I realize that by beginning in Genesis the way that we have, the Bible itself has presented the kinds of themes that are going to be crucial to understanding the rest of the biblical story. And I think for those of you who have listened through from the first episode to the present, have many, many, many categories... Many of them may be new to you. Maybe they're not. They might just be reminders to you. But you have many categories now of how to think as you read the narratives in the Old Testament, questions to be asking yourselves. Is this man looking at something and labeling it good for himself? Or is this man understanding that God has created something to work in a certain way? Um, What does it mean to rule the world well? How does that affect the role of kings and priests Adam and Eve were were priestly um, members of an original garden temple. We talked a lot about this at length and how the Lord God desires worshipers in his perfect world, those who will work the ground and keep it, who will guard it, what that means as far as preserving the lives of one another, caring for the creation, caring for each other, and honoring God in the process. And so... The number of themes that have surfaced has been really, really helpful, and the reason why I've chosen to continue through at least chapter 4 in Genesis is because I want us to see once sin entered the world, the descriptions that the Bible is giving now that we've looked at in Genesis 3 and 4 are things that are much closer to home for us, things that we see in our own lives and on the news and on social media Lives that are destroyed by other people. And today we're going to look at one more example and the, the magnification that sin as a character now has in the world as it is operating, not um, meaning that man is not responsible for his own choices, but recognizing that there seem now to be forces at work in the world which make sin not only appear to be the best choice, but make it incredibly easy and justifiable, as we're going to look at here in just a moment. And so that's really sort of a helpful way for, for you to know where we're headed. We're going to look at some more overview sections. We're going to ask different kinds of questions that will help you as you approach any particular narrative, any particular passage in the Psalms or some of the Gospels, how to best approach them. And of course, as I've listed three sermons already, and we'll continue to do more you will get a glimpse at least of the way I approach scripture with the themes and the images and the way that, that the writers are recording these instances for us. You get an idea about the way that I think we can piece this together and be respectful both of the way the Bible was intended to be read, but also in the way that it tells its own story. And so that's really the focus of, of this episode and everyone. I'm coming after this, um, but I would like to go ahead and, and simply read the remainder of Genesis 4 and make some observations about some of the descendants of Cain. Here's what we read in Genesis 4:17. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch, to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other Zillah. Adah bore Jabel; He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold." And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now there's a couple quick observations I would like to make about this passage as we wrap up chapter 4. And the first is that what we see is we see some descendants of Cain. And there's actually listed here ending with a, a man named Lamech who is seventh from Adam as far as the generations are concerned when you count the names of these men. But we have references here to um, those who play the lyre and the pipe. We have the forger of all instruments of bronze and of iron, those who dwell in tents and have livestock. And, and once again, you see civilization expanding. You see growth happening. You see musical instruments where you see um, the father of all those who, uh, the forger of all instruments of bronze and of iron. You have things for, for cultivating the ground, bronze and iron, but you also have things that, depending upon how they're used, may very well be used to make weapons of war. And so you have this list of products that are made, things and where their origins come from, but we're kind of left wondering, what are these things going to be used for? And the reason why this is that's a significant question is because things in and of themselves are not necessarily good or evil. It's typically what those things are used for and who is the one using them and what is his intentions. And so one of the things that... The Bible is doing and will continue to do even as you dip into chapter 5, which if you've read the Bible at all and you come to a genealogy, you oftentimes see that as being something that doesn't seem to have much relevance to you personally, and you might actually be right. But the things about genealogies are significant, and we're going to compare one that we see here in chapter 4 with one that we see in chapter 5 in just a minute as it relates to trajectories. As it relates to the way people, for whatever reason, choose to use the resources around them, the way people choose to view the world around them, and here, even the way people choose to view the mercy and grace and kindness of the Lord God. And so what I want to draw your attention to is this seventh man from Adam going through the line of Cain, his name being Lamech. And in verse 23, it says that he said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold." Now, one of the things we looked at in last week's episode was the fact that the Lord God told Cain, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. It wants to rule over you, but you must rule over it. And of course, we saw in the example of Cain and Abel that Cain chose not in that moment to blame himself for an offering that was not given to the Lord God with the right spirit or in the right way. And chose instead to remove the one person who made him look bad. That was his brother. And so Cain in that moment allowed sin to rule over him. Allowed this idea to enter into his mind that said it would be a good thing to end the life of one of God's creatures. It would be a good thing to destroy the image of God in another person. It would be a good thing to kill my brother... And then throw up my hands when the Lord God comes to me and say, is it my responsibility to look after him? Am I my brother's keeper? But then if you remember the way the story continued, Cain was extremely distraught at the thought that he was going to be cast away from the presence of the Lord as a result of what he had done. And he was so upset because he was convinced that whoever found him off, alone, unprotected, Whoever found him in that state would kill him. And of course, the answer to that dilemma is well, sure, Cain, but why would you, why are you any more deserving of mercy when someone sees you and wants to kill you than Abel was deserving of mercy and protection when you saw him and chose to kill him? And yet we don't live in a world that is just limited to whatever you do, you're going to get the same done back to you because the Lord God showed tremendous kindness and tremendous mercy and tremendous grace showing Cain that he is not like fallen man. God is not like a projection of our own wickedness or our own sinfulness or our own selfishness. When the Lord God himself had every right to end Cain's life, Or to cross his arms and say to Cain, you should have thought about your own fears before you killed your brother. He doesn't do that. He looks to Cain and he says, I will put a mark on you so that if anybody finds you, will not kill you. And if anyone does, the revenge, my justice that I will take out on that person will be sevenfold. That is my level of protection for you, Cain. You will experience aloneness. You will experience isolation and a life of wandering. But your life is precious to me, and it needs to be precious to everyone else. This is God's mercy at work. This is God's mercy extending to people in his world who are, who are in danger from the lives of other individuals. This is what sin has done, it has created quite a mess. But this particular narrative with Lamech has magnified the mess tenfold. Because what is happening is, and you all can relate, I can relate to this extremely well, but Lamech looks to his wives and he mentions to his wives that a young man has hit him. Somebody has wounded him. Somebody must have gotten into some type of altercation with Lamech. He hit him. He punched him he slapped him, he did something to him. And again, in a world where Cain is afraid of the exact same thing happening to him that he chose to do to Abel and the Lord stepping in and saying, no, I will protect you from what you justly deserve coming from those strangers of yours that you know you were afraid of. In this example, Lamech does not just say, A young man struck me, therefore I struck the young man back. And I want you to clue in on this to just a second because this is very, very common to our human experience. We do not live in a world where when somebody mistreats you, you feel perfectly at home by simply mistreating them at an equal measure to the way they once offended you. It's very, very easy, and it almost feels right to get them back a little bit more than what they did to you. We might call it one-upmanship. We might call it um, just getting them back plus some because, you know, of course, I'm going to pay you back for the wrong you did to me, but I'm going to push it in a little further. I'm going to twist it a little bit stronger because you had the audacity to cross me in the first place. And so we live in a world now where it seems right and it seems normal that if you do something to me, what I'm going to do to you in response is not just equal to what you did, but it is something magnified. And this is actually exactly what Lamech says. And I don't want you to miss the wording that he chooses to use because his wording goes straight back to the Lord God's mercy of Cain from verse 15 it says the lord put a mark on cain lest any who found him should attack him and right before that it says if anyone kills cain vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold but now here's lamech saying a young man has struck me someone came up and had the audacity to hit me we could Think about it like this in terms of something like road rage. I know that's an maybe overused example, but it is a very easy example to think about. That when somebody cuts you off on the road, your desire is not just to cut them off or to cause them to have to apply the brakes of their car in a way that they otherwise wouldn't have wanted to in that moment. Some people who get so irate or so upset begin calling out curses on the person who cuts them off and quite literally wanting to almost run them off the road. It isn't just, oh, I want to show you what you did was inconvenient. I want to show you and I will take it upon myself to teach you a lesson and anybody else who cares to witness this, that you better not cross me. And yet Lamech is not just reckless in what he does. He's reckless as it relates to the mercy of God. He's reckless as it relates to, oh, well, there's an example of somebody who did the wrong thing. But because of this merciful God that we have up there, we must be allowed to rely upon that mercy any way we so choose. In fact, I'm going to claim just as much of the mercy of, of the Lord God that Cain had And then some. And what you find happening is that you now have a man whose justifiable response to being hit by another human being is that it is within his rights entirely to murder the man, to end his life, and to use the mercy of God for himself, not for the one being killed. This is something now that I view quite strongly as a major hiccup in the story, as a major hurdle, as a major obstacle, as a major point of conflict in a story where the Lord God truly desires to express His own character and His own nature, and yet it is now met with such resistance to Him and with such free thinking in the, way of the ways of sin and the way of death, that it is now taken as a license to sin more. And to say, oh, well, or if you have ever said this or thought this or have heard about this before, oh, well, do what you want and you can ask forgiveness later. Right. So now you have this beautiful character trait of the Lord God himself who is one of mercy and compassion and kindness. And because sin has this strong tendency to want to rule over us and not us over sin, God's mercy is now seen as a license to do the very kinds of things we want to do, knowing, oh, well, I'll be able to ask forgiveness for that later. Oh, well, the consequences of my sins can't be that bad. There was a guy who killed his brother and God was merciful to him and on and on it goes and so when you come to Genesis chapter 5 what you actually see is you see a genealogy Genesis 4 ended by the Lord God allowing Eve to give birth to another son and she named him Seth because she said God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel for Cain killed him and the, the name Seth simply sounds similar to the Hebrew for he appointed. And so it's the, the Lord God offering um, a second chance for Eve and Adam to have another son who is, whose life is going to go in a different direction. And chapter 5 of Genesis is filled with a lot of repetition. It talks about a son. It talks about him having a, a handful of other sons and daughters, living a certain amount of years, and then dying. And then in verse 12, there's a son and he lives a few years and he has other sons and daughters and then he died. And then he died. And then his son lived a few years and had other sons and daughters and then he died. And then he died. And then he died. And then he died. And And if you read Genesis 5 all the way through, you keep hearing this phrase, and he died. And he died. And he died. And he died. And that is because the Lord God promised the first man and the first woman that, that in the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in that day, you will surely die. And so sin has entered into the story. Opposition to God's good ways has entered into the story. And now death itself has entered into the story. And yet we are given a lineage of Cain and of the ways of Cain and of the people of Cain, seven generations removed from Adam Now, following in the ways of sin, following in the ways of Cain, murderous intentions, justifiable revenge, the whole nine yards ends, the seventh generation from Adam, ends with this man, Lamech, staring the mercy of the Lord God in the face and seeing it as license to do whatever he wants to whomever he wants solely for his own benefit he is a the perfect model picture of someone who is so absorbed with self that he will take something as glorious as the mercy of god and use it as pure license to do whatever he wants but when you come to chapter 5 we begin a genealogy with adam and the genealogy is now traced through seth and it follows a totally different trajectory And when you come to the seventh person from Adam, following Seth's line, not following Cain's, you come to a man named Enoch. Now, interestingly enough, the the son of Cain was also named Enoch. Do not get confused. It's not the same Enoch. It just happens to have the same name, but this is a different man living in a different time. But it says in verse 21 of Genesis 5, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, I won't take the time in this podcast to read the entire chapter 5 of Genesis, but I would encourage you to do so and to underline every time you see the phrase, and he died, and he died and he died, and he died, and he died. Because when you come to the seventh generation from Adam through Seth's line, you come to this man named Enoch, who in the words of the author of Genesis tells us that this man walked with God and he was not, or he was not found, for God took him. So, for the very first time in the narrative, we're introduced, for the very first time in Genesis even, we are introduced to this idea of walking with God. Now, we saw in chapter 3 of Genesis that the Lord God walked in the garden in the cool of the day and at that time came looking for the first man and the first woman. Of course, he found them hiding, but we get some type of indication that there is a a mutuality, a friendship, a connection somehow of walking in the garden with the Lord God. But here in chapter five, we hear the phrase again, walked with God, and it's somehow connected to someone who doesn't face death. We're not told exactly what that means. We're not told what exactly to infer from it. But what we see is this polar opposite of trajectory. Seventh from Cain, seventh through Cain, Cain's line, is a man named Lamech who is absolutely consumed and absorbed with self, leading to death all around him. Here's a man for striking me. I've now killed him. I've ended his life because he dared to cross paths with me. And then you have Enoch, the seventh from Adam, through Seth's line, who walked with God and did not see death himself. And so this is a theme that is going to be picked up when we get to the Noah story. Noah walked with God and there's something about the calling God gives his life that prevents him and his family and those connected to him from enduring death. And so you have sin and death on the one side. You have the mercy of God being abused as sin and death are embraced and wholeheartedly loved. And then you have running parallel with that a different kind of trajectory, one where people walk with God. What does that mean? We don't know. All we know is those who walk with God must in some sense be different from those absorbed with sin and death because the ones who walk with God don't see death and so you have walking with God is a picture of life self-absorbed life absorbed with self absorbed with you know consumed with self is a picture of absolute death and these are themes that are so crucial to grasp onto as you're reading through the biblical story As you come to the flood, you're going to realize what it is that the Lord God feels he needs to do in order to help humanity that is definitely going in the wrong path, in the wrong direction. But this will also help us tremendously to understand something like the law that the Lord God gives to his people. I'm definitely prepared in future podcast episodes to take some time to walk through the law And how is it that the law was meant to be understood? Why is it that the Lord God gave the law? What did he expect to happen as a result of his giving the law? And how do Christians today relate with it now that Jesus has come? And I can't take the time in the next five minutes to answer all of those questions, but I can say this, a large part of the law was inserted specifically because of this Genesis 4 passage with Lamech. It was put in place to restrain people from actually doing more harm to another person than what that person had done to them. This is why in Matthew 5, Jesus can say something like this in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, Jesus is quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, when he says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, the law actually says to do that. But again, what Jesus is going to have to address isn't the fact that the law says you can take an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth or an arm for an arm or a, a you know something like that because it's a good thing to do to your neighbor. The law says you can do that and you can't do any more. Because we live in a world where there is senseless escalation of violence, senseless escalation of revenge, and people do not know when enough is enough. And so the law itself says things like eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but it does not say them because by doing so, you are necessarily loving your neighbor. The law has to say things like that because without restraint, without restriction, without something being imposed on us from the outside, telling us we cannot act as we feel we are justified in doing, the world will get way worse way faster than it currently is. And the Lord God knows this. And so we'll take some time in the future to look more specifically at the law, but one of the reasons why it says some of the things that it does is because of man's tendency now to look at the mercy of God and use it as a license to more sin. And it is one of the saddest states of our existence, but it is not one that surprises us. We see this every day. If you're a parent, watch the way your children react and, and act toward one another. If you're on social media, watch the way conversations happen when somebody disagrees with someone else's opinion. All of a the sudden, they are not simply a person who is thinking clearly, they're an idiot or a moron, or someone who's stupid, who doesn't know up from down. And all of the sudden, a simple disagreement about terms or about concepts has been turned into mockery, name-calling, and insults. Another topic which Jesus addresses in the Sermon on the Mount, as it has to do with anger or calling people fools or wishing them to be judged eternally in hell for their stupidity, this is something that is embedded in human nature and it is because the principle of it of sin is clearly at work and will continue to be at work until it is defeated. But praise be to God. We have Jesus Christ who has come in the flesh in order to deal with sin and with death and he has dealt with them both. And it's only because he's dealt with them both that you and I have any chance for hope in this world to look past the ugliness, the brokenness, and the fallenness, and to say, what does it mean to walk with God? How then does walking with God somehow overcome death? And how do I escape the snare of this crouching, hidden character known as sin who seeks to destroy my life and the lives of those around me and wants me to justify those actions in the process? That's what the biblical story is going to attempt to address, and God is going to use a people named Israel to try to solve that problem, and what we learn about humanity and what we learn about the Lord God in the process will be incredibly illuminating and enlightening as long as we are reading that narrative in the right way, and that is one of the main themes that I will be picking up on very soon in the podcast so that we are able to ask the right questions, look for certain things that we might not otherwise be looking for, and be good, good, faithful readers of Scripture and those who want to know Jesus more. So that's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening in. It's just, it's encouraging to continue to talk to you. I would love it if you would leave a rating or a review about this podcast on whatever podcast app you happen to listen to. This helps others to find the podcast and want to be able to, to jump in and, and be a part of it. Also, thank you to those of you that are continuing to support this podcast. If you would like to do that in a financial way, that would be greatly appreciated. It helps me to be able to continue to produce these each and every week. There will be a link at the bottom of the show notes for you to do just that if you would like to. So I hope you have a great week. Talk to you next time.